Welcome to the Owner's Box. Now, here's Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Welcome, everybody, to the Owner's Box. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of the Little Red Feather Racing Club. Joining me from parts unknown is the great, the talented, the athletic. You'll, you'll laugh about that later in the show, uh, Michelle Yu. Michelle? Hi, Billy. You're not running the 5K. So no, I'm not running the 5K. All right. Well, no, people are going to listen to our exchange later on. After our tremendous interview with Marshall Graham, people, you are going to want to listen to this. In fact, we're going to do three things of note very quickly because we know you want to get right to the Marshall Graham interview. The, the guy's just brilliant, and uh, you're going to have a lot of fun with it. So, Michelle, what are our three things of note here on the Owner's Box? The first thing I know is certainly going to be a wrap up from last weekend. We had Kentucky Derby preps and they were amazing. They really um, were. Uh, they were good races. Yep. Uh, before we talk about the boys, I also want to mention that affirmative lady to the Gulfstream Park Oaks and mm -hmm. she is an OBS graduate. Perfect. She went through the ring after brazing an eighth and ten and two. So they don't have to breeze that fast. Earned, yeah, yeah she's she's earned over two hundred and seventy thousand dollars now. And fellow OBS graduate Flakes did wind up third in that race as well um but back to the the boys the boys the boys we're good hey can we'll i say start. can i say one thing before you go sure. into this i i want to say something that i think is funny that how people are just so into like handicapping one race like who's gonna win the derby you know what i mean like we have races like i'm pumped about saturday like Right. You know what I mean? Like, and everyone, like, even on all the social media, is like, who do you, who's your pick for the Derby? And people will pour so much time into trying to pick the winner from the Derby. I'm doing it completely different this year. I'm not even going to handicap. I'm just going to go with the horse I like. All right. There I like go. it. Yeah. So, like okay. It. So let's talk about the preps. Okay. So the, we had two preps this weekend. We had the Curlin Florida Derby presented by Hill and Farm, Hillendale Farms. And we also had the Arkansas Derby, obviously both of those grade ones. I was at the Florida Derby and got to see Forte. Wow. I did not think he was going to be able to pull it up. That was such a weirdly run race for him. Um, he drew the outside. It's not an easy post to win from statistically. No. Big Brown did pull off winning the 12 hole and then parlayed that into a Kentucky Derby victory. But Forte, at three different points of the race, I thought he's going to run last. I agree. I thought he was done at the three-ace pole. I thought he was done at the quarter pole when Mage went right past him. Right, um, like he was standing like, still. Incredible. Like, incredible performance. Um, what I will say is is deserved Derby favorite, uh, but it won't be one that I'm probably playing for those handicappers out there that, are, that care about my opinion. Just because... I don't think you could do that in the Derby. Like, I just right. don't think you can do what he did in the floor. And, and he might be over well, the top, too. Like I mean, he that. He used a lot of Yes, I do. I feel like he used a lot of himself. I feel like there was, I, like you said, it was one of the strangest races. I was like, oh, he's done. And then he wins. And it, so there's that half of me that says, what an incredible horse. And there's the other half that says, what was that? Like, what happened there? So um, you just can't make mistakes in the Derby. And as we saw last year, anything can happen when you put 23-year-olds in the gate at a mile and a quarter. And so for if you're looking for value, he won't be much value. He is a very, very good horse. He's a champion and, and uh, deservedly so. And on to Kentucky for our good friend, Mike Rapoli. Mike Rapoli and uh, Vinny Viola is the yep. co-owner on that St. Elias stable. They had a great day, by the way. They won three races together. Todd Pletcher also did. And the Ortiz brothers won five and six races on the card. Unbelievable. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, also, we did have the Arkansas Derby. So that'll be 
one thing of note point one B. And that was one of my classic uh, Angel of Empire, excuse me, by Classic Empire. And that is Brad Cox, Flavian Pratt, and the Alba family. And I was that very, was, Michelle, I'm going to tell you something. Impressed. I was very impressed with this horse. Very I just, impressed. It, that horse killed him late. And, and he went wide, and he and Pratt had so much horse kind of the whole race, and I liked that he just settled. And that's, to me, if you, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head right now and said bet either Angel of Empire or Forte in the Derby, I would take Angel of Empire right now. I just thought yeah. the way the way he moves, he's very efficient. Um, looked like mile and a quarter was not going to be an issue, and he really destroyed that field that I thought was okay. Like, there were some nice horses in there, and he, he put them away. I think he's a very nice horse, and I think we talked about um, – he's Brad Cox. Brad Cox also has King Barnes, who was impressive the week before. No, in... that's uh, Pletcher. Oh, is that Pletcher? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I apologize, uh, everybody. But Brad Cox does have wet paint. The wet paint, the Philly. The... I, I was confused. He won with wet paint. Um, but I meant Pratt. Has both of them. It would be interesting yes. to see. Pratt who Pratt also has rides. full rocket ride, which we'll talk about in just a minute. It's as going well. to be interesting. Flavian Pratt. Look at him. He's going to have a big decision to make. Well, it's funny because uh, when we it's were in, it, well, it is funny when we were in Sunland a week or two ago, and I was talking to Flavian, and it was the day after he had won the Louisiana Derby with Kings Barnes, and I was like, "So, is it, you know, do you like him or whatever?" And he's like, "How come no one likes this yeah. horse? Like, he's we a talked really good about horse. this." Yeah. Right. And I'm like, is he your derby horse? Like, oh, you know, we'll see. And now he is this guy and he still has Go Rocket Ride coming up in the Incredible. Santa Anita Derby. So it's like all of a sudden you have your choice to pick from it. You know, you know what we too. call that, Michelle, as you tell your kids to be quiet in the background? You know I what we call that? that? Embarrassment of riches. Embarrassment of riches. That's another good name for a horse. Embarrassment of riches. Um, too many, probably. All right, Michelle, um, what's next? Uh, so next thing of note is certainly that we have more derby preps coming up, including the Santa Anita Derby and the Bluegrass Stakes as Keeneland is going to be opening. That's also a thing of note is that Keeneland will be opening up on Friday and looking forward to that meet. But the Santa Anita Derby will be on Saturday at the Great Race Place. We actually got a really nice field of nine. So we've got, I mean... You know, you've got your couple of horses that probably don't belong, but we've got Go Rocket Ride, who ran a bang-up second-place finish to Practical Move, who lines up in here again from the San Felipe. One in Vermilion going to be coming out. He completely lose, like lost his mind at the gate in the Sunland Derby and mm. just threw in the towel. They're bringing him right back, and they're like, let's, let's do it. Uh, I mentioned Practical Move. He brings in back-to-back wins for Tim Yachtin. He's an organic Tim Yachtin horse, so he is not a bad <laughs> I like that organic Tim Yachtin. That's right. Uh, but he does. But Tim Yachtin also going to be saddling National Treasure. And he's danced pretty much every dance. He's knocked on the door. I have maintained this. And I've told Tom Ryan, this horse is going to win the Belmont Stakes. Okay? Interesting. Okay. So you, we're just preparing him for a Belmont win. John Sheriffs is going to be sending out Skinner. We have Mandarin Hero from Japan coming in. First time um, first time a J- Japanese horse has ever run in the San Diego Derby, right? that cool? I, I mean, think it's great. Before, there's not like a huge reason to come out, right? So Mandarin right. Hero won four in a row, and then last time out, he ran second. He was just beaten a neck, mm-hmm. and that was his first time going nine furlongs. Was... It was off the layoff. Yep. So he could certainly move forward. Kiki. It's hard to get Kiki like runs. KK. KK. Yep. KK's riding him. And then um, <laughs> Antonio KK. Garcia also wheeling back low expectations off the Sunland Derby. He was runner up to the yeah. $70. Dollar horse, wild and ice. Yeah, and then tap it tri- twice, tap it twice, tap it twice, tap it twice, tap it twice is uh, it is trice. the the headliner in the Keeneland, the Bluegrass, which will be interesting also on Saturday. That's actually a really big field, and I mean Keeneland always draws big fields. Yeah, but the 
grass, I feel like, has not been especially product- productive in well, the you, last... You, th- you think that. You know that. It hasn't been. Right. I mean, that's, that's so, fact. So it'll be interesting because he's he's kind of a, you know, people like this horse. They like the distance with this horse. You got Tappet tries clear the air verifying, who's very live. Classic mm-hmm. car wash, hay strike, Scooby Quando, Sun Thunder, Blazing Sevens, Major Blue, Raising Cane, who's also uh, Raise Cane, Raise and Mendelssohn's March. So good okay, race. So I want to say this. Yes, I want you as, to say as, this. As unproductive as the bluegrass has been, I think yeah. the Tampa Bay Derby is worse. So if Tappa Trice wins the Tampa Bay Derby, he's still going to get play. He's Pletcher. He'll have a you know Luis Saez will probably ride if he For wins sure this race. He's going to be. Play. He's going to get. He's going to get. He's going to get action. He anyway. would be a complete, like, wow if he was able to win because of that. Go. Yeah. There you go. Kenny McPeak has three in the bluegrass. Okay. What else do we have? I want to get um, to Marshall. I'm just chomping yeah, at the bit. Okay. So just finally, just a Gufo is going to be retiring. And he was a long-term turf marathon type runner. And he's actually going to be at Windstar available for inspection. So maybe if you've got... 55 million you want to buy adina springs and then you buy gufo and you stand him there i think it's a great idea i don't have unfortunately i don't have 55 million dollars but we do have a big day on saturday we're in a couple stakes on saturday i end sunday against you yeah so exciting gfp gfp back in the house with kiki with kk all right michelle let's get to marshall graham who uh is amazing we're going to talk to him right now the Owner's Box is brought to you in part by First Racing. Make sure you play the Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. It's a dollar minimum and a player-friendly 15% takeout. You can play on track or online. Just look for the Coast to Coast Pick 5. And don't forget, if you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you get a free $10 to play in the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days. Just make sure you register for the promotion. You can get the pick five sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at inthemoneypodcast.com forward slash coast. All right. Welcome back to the owner's box. Very special guest today. I'm going to embarrass him. He's he's one of the smartest people in horse racing. He's also one of my favorite people in horse racing. It's Marshall Graham. Marshall, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me on. appreciate uh, a chance to talk about uh, thoroughbred ownership and among other topics. Well, Marshall, let me tell you this. When I had tell, I was like telling Billy people and, and your name came up and he was like, oh, no, I love that guy. We have to have him for sure. Like he is not <laughs> even true. blowing smoke up your butt I'm right such now. A, I'm such a, a fan. super fanboy. I go fanboy on Marshall Graham. You know why, Michelle? You know this. I like really smart people and people who do things the right way and that's Marshall but we're going to find out all about it why don't you tell us first tell us a little bit about your history and how you got into horse ownership um a little bit about your your background and uh, we'll start there go for it well really all goes back to to betting on horses and there's a I didn't really have any family connection to horse racing I just I grew up in Washington DC there was no cable television and I was a sports addicted kid (laughs) weird weird cable was kind of a rural thing so district cable vision didn't come until 1989. So the byproduct of that is I was a, uh, I read sports writing and I read the newspaper and the the newspaper, the Washington Post had a full page on horse racing with charts and entries. And Andrew Byer was uh, wrote about horse racing oh, in the post. Wow, that's so crazy. Read, that was so long ago. That's when Byer started, right? 
That's yeah. literally how I like started in racing too. Was the newspaper? That's crazy. Yeah, and 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 Byer was a fantastic. He's a fantastic writer. I mean, obviously the the speed figures and and everything he's done in terms of handicapping. So I bought his books, and my parents just assume it was a phase, right? Little boys get into baseball because of all the stats. I got into horse racing, and kind of never left it. And uh, went off to college and graduate school. Got my PhD in economics and. Uh, when I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, I moved uh, right across the river from a dog track, Southland Greyhound Park. So initially, I would <laughs> shout out, my... shout out to the Dogland uh, Southland uh, Dogland Track. Well, it was the Saratoga <laughs> Greyhound Racing, but of course it was. It, it uh, closed its doors at the end of December, um, and so I'd go make my bets there, and sometimes play there uh, uh, via simulcast. I got a YouBet.com account. I guess they were one of the early ADWs that yes. got hooked and. Uh, you know, eventually uh, had some success, was at, uh, was with my brother and one of my buddies in 2009 at a wedding, and there was a horse I've been following named Aunt Dot Dot, and she was in for a nickel at Philadelphia Park. I knew someone there who could help us claim her, and that, that was the first horse I claimed, and kind of the rest is history. We actually won a three-way shake for her and That's got incredible. offered twice the claim price on the spot. So we got offered $10,000 on the spot. That's a win. Yeah. I know. It's yeah, and you win, took it, right? No, I, I I definitely would have taken it had I known better. <laughs> I, did, I did not know better. Uh, we we claimed her. We then even worse rookie owner mistake. We claimed her and then we raced her over her head because we were afraid that people are going to take her and we oh, kind of no. kind of ruined her form. But then she, we retired her. She became a broodmare for me and she's thrown two stakes winners, including Dot Matrix, who won yeah. uh, seven hundred grand and won multiple New York bred stakes races and won uh, a Grade Three race at Sam Houston. So she's been great to me. Um, I actually have a Munnings. I, I sold a Munnings filly. This year at the September sale for two hundred twenty-five grand, uh, that uh, and she's in full now to Warriors Charge, and I have her daughter as a broodmare. So wow. this five thousand dollar claim is my foundation mare. So uh, totally, so I love that good. so much. Right, what a great story. That's so wow. What do you think, Marshall? What was it? Obviously, you were an analytical kid, I imagine. But what was it about the races and about uh, about betting on horses that really drew you in? Well, first of all, just anyone watching a race is super exciting. Um, the, uh, I mean, just seeing the horses, you know, turn for home, the athleticism of the horses, the jockeys. Um, and so that just watching the race, all the colors, all the, uh, the sort of speed on display, even just watching the Derby, it's hard not to watch something like the Derby and not get super excited about a horse race. And then learning how much numbers and figures and statistics were involved in the sport. I mean, that for me as a kid – you know, uh, finding eight quarters and going down and buying the daily racing form and looking at all, it's basically a page full of numbers and statistics. So just as a kid, I tried to come up with, you know, my own versions of, uh, like algorithms or, or systems to try to find winners. And, and again, wanted to learn more about the sport. And in the meantime, did you do crossword puzzles and pen and also, uh, Rubik's cubes? No, I was not that, you know, I was not that kind of kid. That stuff's too complicated, but, uh, you know, it was a way to, you know, as a horse player, it was a way to sort of be an active participant, active owner for a minute and 12 seconds, right? So sure. there's nothing nothing more exciting. So I remember, you know, like getting my driver's license and driving up to Pimlico or Laurel to watch the races. And uh, and again, it kind of never kind of never left me. And, and again, moving to Memphis put me in range. It's still too far away, but I'm three hours to Oakland Park. I'm four and a half to Louisville. I'm six hours from Keeneland. So uh, um, I kept up with it. Uh, 
eventually got into horse ownership. I met uh, my buddy Clay Sanders, who uh, uh, works for a bank here, um, and we became fast friends. It's interesting, when you're, especially when you're in a non-racing town like Memphis, when you meet people who are interested in horse racing, you become fast friends. It doesn't matter their background or age or anything at all. And so basically with a group of uh, you know, like-minded horse enthusiasts, uh, some with ownership experience, some with not. We started started buying horses. Initially, I was claiming horses, and then uh, you know, we put together partnerships to buy yearlings and two-year-olds. Sounds like that's the start of 10-Strike Racing, which uh, you've had immense success with, and we'll get that in a minute. Is that when 10-Strike started? Tell us a little bit about the, the this partnership that has, I really believe is one of the strongest in at least the Midwest, if not the country. And well, we, why 10-Strike? Well, we have like, you know, our target market is this Memphis area, Arkansas, that's most of our partners. And so Oakland is kind of where we uh, where we hope to win races. And so we, we initially were buying horses. We were using all of our names. So, you know, before we sort of settle on 10 strike racing, we would do Graham, Sanders, Petrangelo, uh, Pitts and, and et cetera. And we thought, you know, all of us wanted our names on the horses. So this is the way to go. And we realized. So we bought four horses like that. I think we. Put up 200 grand, spent 150 on horses, kept 50 aside for bills. And we got very lucky. We had a nice horse in that first group named Allied Air Raid, who became a, a stakes yeah. winner, won the unbridled stakes in in, uh, in Louisiana Downs. And the problem was just to get your money out, right? You had to get everything notarized. All five partners had to get <laughs> things notarized. We entered horses. We, we, entered, uh. we entered a race in Iowa, the Prairie Mile, and we had to hunt one of the partners down who only owed two per, only owned 2%, but his name was on the program. So we had to hunt him down for his license so they wouldn't scratch us. And so with that horse that raced in Iowa, in Kentucky, in Louisiana, and Arkansas, uh, you know, we had situations where partners had were paying more in licensing then they were paying as part of their ownership piece of the horse. So at that point, we decided we had we needed a name and we needed an umbrella for all of this, and uh, and so we went with Ten Strike Racing. Ten Strike was the I think first winner of the Tennessee Derby in 1884. Wow! Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know. Well, I didn't did, know that. We had to do, we did a lot of research. We had to sort of figure out what you know coming up with a name is pretty challenging, as you know, like you know coming up with a little red feather. So we. Uh, we, uh, you know, did some research, came up with 10 Strike, uh, again, first winner of the Tennessee Derby, which at that point in time was run uh, about a mile away from where I live at the Memphis Fairgrounds, where the Liberty Bowl is now. It was at the time as big as the Kentucky Derby. He was the son of 10 Brook, uh, which is old bluegrass <laughs> song, Molly and 10 Brook, and 10 Brook is a Hall of Famer as well. And so, uh, um, you know, that's how we put that group together. And Starting in two, six, 2016, we ran under the 10-strike umbrella, and uh, uh, we have been doing it ever since. We're a little bit smoke and mirrors, right? We have a lot of, no, of, uh, don't, of horses. And we, don't sell yourself made, short. Come on. You've had a monster meet at Oakland. A mon- what did you tell me, 12 for 27? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know we run into this thing, and you all do as well, is that we they only count – uh, wins in, in the standings based upon ownership. And we have a lot of horses that are 10 strike racing and Jeremy Sussman, sure. 10 strike racing, Cornwallis, Jeremy Sussman. Well, unfortunately we've only won one outside race. I feel bad for my claiming partners that there's only one 10 strike and another owner, but we've won all our races that are just 10 strike. It's ridiculous. And so um, I told you about my so, plan that I kind of have since failed on. 
Well, I, yeah, trying to get it all on their umbrella. I mean, not like even an umbrella. I, if you own fifty percent of the horse, why can't Equibase credit you for point five wins? Yeah, I don't. I don't so see what, why. So what? You could have like nine point three wins at the meet. And... Yeah. Yes. Why? Why? Why is that bad? In, we we follow. Ba- talk about st- st- uh, excuse me statistics. We talk about baseball. You know, ERA is you know three point two eight, and you have uh, your your WHIP and your on base percentage, and all those things are. It's all computerized. It should be all computerized. Sorry, I'm ranting. No, I I, I don't disagree with that that'd give us twelve point five the way Naira does it, right? Where the lead owner. And, and I tell you, Naira is also very easy because they have a single. You don't have to make multiple accounts when you want to. When you have multiple owners, sure. Right? There's just a single account with the lead owner. So, yep. uh, with for in, in New York, we'd have 13 wins as opposed to 12. But we, you know, we're having a great meet. We're we're we have 13 wins, 12 that are listed in Equibase, uh, just under 10 strike. And our our trainers kind of know we point for that meet, uh, and uh, and we we have a lot of young trainers. Um, that we work with, uh, you know, obviously our big horses are with Brad Cox and we were with Brad when Brad only had, you know, 30 horses in one barn and he's obviously exploded. Yeah. People, for, people forget that, that he started. It wasn't too long ago. Not that, that Not only started low, but he told me at one time he was down to like four horses in his barn and that his goal was to claim a horse a week until he could like have a whole barn. That's wild. And, and one of our partners, Gary Garlington, was one of the people who had one of those four horses. And That's so he eventually, wild. he's a he's a Memphian and uh, owns Memphis Pizza Cafe. And he eventually partnered up with us and, and is one of our core 10 strike racing partners. So we were with Brad early. And, you know, part of our goal, especially with some of the claiming horses we have, is to try to identify the next Brad Cox. And I'm super excited about some of the young trainers that we work with. Uh, Lindsey Schultz and Matt Shire and Bentley Combs, all three of them are at Oakland Park and doing really well. Yep. Um, Michelle G. and Julio in New York um, uh, trains for us, and she she won her first uh, her first win was the stakes race at Saratoga. I saw that. Uh, that was us. incredible. So, uh, incredible. Um, and so me, we're and, always and, looking for young talent. That that's it's very cool, and I want to come back to that. But I want to ask you a question that sometimes we save till the end. But I want to ask you it now. From the time you claimed that first horse for five thousand to now, let's say this meet at Oaklawn, give us in our audience three things that Marshall Graham is better at now than you were back then, as far as horse ownership, placement, whatever it is. What have you learned? Well, one thing is. Um, is you definitely need to place them where they can win. And so, you know, if a horse is, is, is not worth what you claimed it, I think owners get caught up in this, you know, you claim a horse for 50 or you buy a, you buy a yearling for 50 and you think about what you have in the horse and you don't think of it as a broader portfolio. And again, if you claim a horse for 50 and it's slow, or you buy a yearling for 50 and it's slow, you got to put them where they can win and you can move the horse on. So sure. I'm much quicker to uh, to be done with a horse that's uh, that's slow. Uh, you know, I learned a lot more about the condition book and how trainers and, um, you know, point horses to certain conditions, what certain conditions mean. I don't think I understood condition books at all before I got into it. And it's such a big part of, you know, not only just, uh, you know, the ownership and and what it means to be a trainer picking out spots. But, you know, as, as far as handicapping is concerned as well, the tremendous jump between Maiden and N2L and non-owners of two and non-owners of three and the different allowance conditions, right? Sure. Um, yep. Um, I, I, I didn't realize those things um, as well. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a very much listen to my trainer uh, owner 
I tend to um, I tend you know I, I tend to communicate them almost exclusively via text. Uh, rarely rarely call them and, and generally you know let them make decisions about where they want to run their horses. Uh, you know even I'll let them pitch claims to me. Often some of the best claims I've made are claims are pitched to me by my trainer, which you know right. ridiculous on paper. <laughs> but uh, you know I kind of let them do their jobs and uh, see if they can succeed. I just don't want to interfere with their business. They know better. They see the horses every day. If they say a horse needs time, um, and that it's, they say horse these time, I tend to listen. So, um, yeah, trust uh, your trainer. Again, I tend to be very hands off. Again, trust the trainer. Let them yep. make decisions. Let them make decisions about jockeys, right? I want I want a rider who trusts my trainer, not yep. the biggest name jockey out there, right? So, yeah. So those are the things that I've I've sort of learned over the the long haul of of owning horses. Makes a lot of sense, Michelle. So in that kind of vein, then Marshall, like you have Brad Cox, then you said you have all these like great up and comers, right? But do you have people or is is your whole group kind of like like-minded where okay we're gonna give um bentley combs an opportunity with this colt and even if he feels good we're not gonna like send him down to brad cox even though we like have him in the barn right we're gonna keep him with this guy is it challenging to like get everyone on on board with sending horses to like the lesser accomplished trainers when you have a trainer like brad cox that is a go-to for you yeah, so we were somewhat nervous about that going into our latest venture. So when we buy our horses, we buy them as a, as a group, and they're typically, we buy from the same sort of crop, right? So this latest group is our ninth group. We call it 10X9. They're three-year-olds now. And so we bought them as yearlings and two-year-olds. And we made the, you know, we told our partners outright that that some of them would go to Brad Cox, but some of them would not. And basically, we don't, you know, they're horses that just won't, wouldn't necessarily fit in Brad's operation. Um, you know, Brad's now getting owners who spend serious money. Um, he's got horses throughout the country. And so, um, you know, there's some that clearly we target for Brad, but if we don't think they're going to fit his operation, um, if they're going to take a little longer to develop, uh, uh, we may send them elsewhere. So I think we ended up sending half to Brad and half to other trainers. For example, we uh, Brad trains Iron Clover, so that's a $55,000 looking at Lucky. We started with Brad. Brad liked the horse. We've had success. Uh, we had another affiliate that we bought at the uh, OBS June sale for $45,000. She's an Accelerate, and so we decided to go with Lindsay Schultz. Um, it was a Maryland bred in Lindsay Stables in the summer at Monmouth, and our partners knew Lindsay from meeting her at Oakland Park. Our mm. trainers, our young trainers at Oakland Park, they get a lot of exposure because our partners are often there. Sure, uh, right. there's a lot of sure. ten strike hats in the crowd, and they'll meet <laughs> our. In Oakland, you know, Hot Springs is a pretty small town, so they meet our trainers, and and our trainers have gained their trust. They've seen our trainers win with my claimers, and so uh, um, you know, and and again, it, she broke her maiden the other day. Uh, um, broke her maiden the other day and ran an 80 buyer um second time out her first time out she finished behind brad's monster punch bowl oh yeah second time out she breaks her maiden runs an 80 and uh you know we may we might fingers crossed have a stakes filly in our hand her name is exponential star love it michelle yeah just a follow-up then for you sound like you're really active at um, a plethora of sales and having to make decisions on where to go do you guys still use liz crow to do the majority of your bloodstock or no yeah, Liz does all of our stuff. So Liz oh, buys okay. all of our Liz buys all She's of our so yearlings and yearlings. She's so great at that middle market price point, and she finds champions for like nothing. She's crazy. 
Yeah, she's fantastic. In fact, we were the first donors Liz came to when she went out on her own. We've known Liz a long time, almost since she was out of, out of college when she was working for Pete Bradley. And interestingly enough, she goes to that first sale and she buys an Uncle Mo Philly and she buys a Tapazar Philly. We have our choice of the two. Oh, um, no. Uncle, oh, no. Uncle, Uncle Mo is well-bred, right? Um, oh, no. Has a pretty good female family. And, and, and we're, you know, we're pedigrees guys and numbers guys. We love Uncle Mo, so we take the Uncle Mo. Right, uh, the Tapazar Philly becomes Monomoy Girl, and the oh. rest is history. And look, I'm not. I, oh. it, it, what was the? Who was the Uncle Mo? What was the Uncle Mo's name? Uh, I don't even. There's no way to <laughs> know that. First of all, for anybody listening, there's no way to know. And so, I would have taken the Uncle Mo. Yeah, and, and the Uncle Mo was a little bit, a little bit more expensive. I think her name was Do Your Job, and this is in our. This is is this 10x4? Yeah, this is in 10x4. So this is our fourth group. Uh, she was a hundred sixty thousand dollar Uncle Mo uh, oh. with some female family. The Tapazar was a hundred grand, and obviously the Tapazar was Monomo Girl wins the Kentucky Oaks. They sell at the end of her career for nine point five million. <laughs> but look, that would have ruined us. Yeah, you'd have been that, done. We'd have been ruined. And I don't like in some ways that uh, you know the one thing I think that's the biggest trial for partners, and I'm sure you can attest this, Billy, is, is how much of a struggle it is. And so the one thing sort of about this is I think the story's not kind of funny now, right? I mean, it, of course. it's. Of course, and, um, you have to and, laugh know, at it, or otherwise you'd be crying every night. You can't do yeah, that. Exactly, and, and and so you know, part of the the other thing I think again in, in being an owner and learning about that side of the game is, you know, is how much when you win to just you know celebrate it because it's it's so hard in this game to win, um, and you know horses are so hard to keep keep we, sound to keep in good form. Uh, you know, a lot of people will call and say, "Hey, you should run this horse in this spot." Well, you know, it's it's, it's Easier said than done when you, when you think about them just as numbers as opposed to individuals who go often on form uh, and so on. All right, Michelle has more. Michelle, I because I, I do want to get in. Marshall, by the way, Michelle is an amazing handicapper as well. He won tournaments. He posts I saw he things, won the BCBC. He won the BCBC, and I want to talk to him a little bit about that. But, Michelle, if you have more horse questions, go now. Well, I, I, I do have uh, some more horse questions. Tell me what your um, – Okay, you have all these different horses, all these different trainers. So do you guys all own all the horses together, like 10-strike racing? Is it like yeah, just, the, the, just he said you that. and these guys? Are you not listening? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, but... I am listening, but <laughs> I don't kidding. know if like, you could – if it's – all right, let me rephrase better. <laughs> he does like, like a group know, Billy, of horses. Each of, your, each of, each of Billy's no, horses are, like are uh, individual. He does a thing like yeah. 10x9, and he buys like 10 horses, and that's the package. Uh, everyone and all... buys in the show yes. everything. Yes. yes. And, so, and so we do have – I mean, to Michelle's point, we do have – like right now, we still have horses in 10x7, 10x8, and 10x9. Those are still racing. And then um, and then we bought 10x10 and are raising money for our 10th group. Those are – we bought, I think, six yearlings, and then we're going to buy three two-year-olds in training, right? So that's all marked. And, and and we're pretty much a closed partnership, right? Our partner – you know, we we, yeah. we get new partners through referrals. Uh, we really treat our partners to, to the extent that it allows us to expand our buying dollar. And then and then we claim horses. I, I typically, you know, own more, most of the claimers. That's why I say we're somewhat smoke and mirrors. Right. We have, you know, we have 500 plus wins over all these years, but a lot of them are, you know, are, are some of these claimers that we win with at Oakland Park still or hard at, to at win. Parks in New York. Still yeah, hard no, to still win. Hard let, to me, win. let me follow up. Hard to win at. Yeah. Let me follow up on that, Marshall. Is um, how, what's the retention rate from one year to another with 10 strike? And 
let's start with that because I'm curious because I, I know you and I have talked about this a million times, but you know, someone, unfortunately in 10 X four, someone had a bad experience, right? And, and then they don't want to come in five and then five is a success. Do they come back in six? Do, do you find that happens? Well, we generally try to tell them to put up less and try to do three ventures. Sure. Right. So, so someone will come and say, Hey, we want to do, uh, you know, we want to do 5% and, you know, we want to do, let's say, let's say this current venture we're doing is an $850,000 raise. Part of that's for the horses, right? And then part of that's just for the money that we hold aside to pay all the bills, sure. right? And so some, if someone comes, comes and says, hey, I want to do 10%, that's 85000 We try to talk them down to 2 or 3% sure. and try to get them to spread that money over over three ventures, right? Yeah, to at least sense. to at least three C three sets. Actually, we at this point don't have any partners who are any any bigger than five percent. Okay. Um, I think that that ownership at the level of yearling and two year old purchases is a consumption activity. I mean, again, we could get lucky and hit one out of the park and make money. And ten x nine, kind of incredible. It's a it's a lower cost venture for us. It's just five hundred thousand uh, dollars because we ended up putting money into the the uh, uh, Brad Cox Colts group. Right. And so, so this group is actually, it's $500,000 raise. We have Ian Clover. We've already sold part of privately. We have this exponential star, um, that ran an 80 buyer. And we have, uh, another horse named Looms Boldly. Oh, yeah. Named after our friend. Oh, Pete, there you go. Winner. So, so we have two stakes winners of the six horses in the group. And we have a third that, that looks very promising. So this one might be profitable. But again, we tell our partners this, this is a consumption activity. If you don't enjoy going to the races, if you don't enjoy following the horses, um, this is not for you. And we we have had, especially early on, you know, people who see our success and, you know, see our successful horses and don't see our unsuccessful ones. And so get the sort of wrong idea about things, especially with claiming horses. I've had a couple of people that want to partner with me on claimers. Sure. And they, they claim a couple of horses and are pretty much out after that. Right. Because right, right. it's just they don't they only see the good ones. They don't see the ones that don't work. And, and you know, the, the retention rate, a lot of these horses, they, you know, I, I thought you were going to ask my retention rate for um, horses. I mean, I was looking at it last year. <laughs> we had 85 horses that were claimed from us. Wow. Or retired or, 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 you know, so. So it's a, you know it's a big number of horses yeah. just turned over because right now. But that's what the have... claiming the claiming game's about. I, I say that all the time to people. The t- t- claiming game's about turnover. It's about buying, selling, buying, selling. You know, moving on, and th- that's what it's about. But I also want to say that I think you should reserve the name consumption activity. Yeah, <laughs> that, that might that might be past our uh, limit of. Uh, it could be close. Of, you uh, could spell it wrong. It reminds me letters. of the, the Klarovich names that are all you know stocks and all that kind of stuff. You mm. could be more econ. I like that. Mm. That's my. That's my. Well, he's gift. got all. That's he's my got gift all the to econ you. Names. Yeah, he he's does got have. all the econ he names. I can't even econ. take the. I can't even take the econ names. But, yeah, it's terrible. But yeah, we we have forty nine horses in training right now. We have a stallion. We have a bunch of brood mares. So uh, right now, I, I sort of have limited myself to. To 100 horses. I don't. If I get past 100, I get nervous and worried. 10 strike is at 96 horses right now. That's oh my gosh! We're getting to that. Uh, that's getting so to that uh, level. Cool. That's like so. the Facebook scene when they're all sitting around when they get their whatever oh. it was, one millionth user or 100 millionth user or whatever it is. Uh, Marshall oh, yeah, Graham yeah. joining us here on the Owners Box. Marshall, I want to shift gears and just go into a little bit about handicapping. You won the BCBC. You're you're one of the best that people know that. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience winning the BCBC. Well, it was during the pandemic. 
during the 2020 uh, Breeders uh, 2020 Breeders Cup right at Keeneland, and mm-hmm. I had a chance to go, but decided not to. It's it's you know an event like that's kind of easy to play from home, uh, and so yeah, I just I had a great two days. I actually had an incredible Friday, so I had wanted to go um, uh, all in on what's the filly that won the the juvenile the Breeders Cup juvenile. I quickly forget oh, her name. Uh, oh, Vquist. Yeah, Vquist. Vquist. Yep. I wanted to go all in on her uh, to kind of start things out and kind of chicken out. And so I bet a ton on her in cash and I keyed her in all my pick fives and pick sixes. If I, um, if that, if the, uh, um, I, I use six horses in the first leg of the pick six that day and I miss, oh, if no. I hit, if I hit, I take down the whole pick six. I made a bunch of money on the wow. pick five. And, and so I just like, I make a ton of money on Friday. So I'm playing super loose, right? Cause in the breeders cup betting challenge, you're throwing around insane amounts of money that most sane people wouldn't bet. Of course. Right. So, but did you, up- one of the things that we talked about this year, and I think I may have even talked about is you have to, you don't have to, most really good players go into it with a plan. So you say, these are the horses I like, this is how I'm going to double up. This is where I'm going to bet a big double, that kind of thing. Did you have that plan? Obviously Vquist was a part of it, but now you hit big on Friday. So you're obviously in the driver's seat on Saturday. How do you, what do you do? What are some of the strategies that you employ? Well, I, you know, I had a plan going in. My plan was I'd double up on Montemore Girl, and then I would key, um, I would key authentic uh, in the in the classic, okay. right? So that was right. my plan. And I realized pretty quickly. I remember thinking about this on Friday. I could literally just kick the can can down, right? Yep. Uh, you know, yep. bet, just bet little things, sh- bet minimums. Bet little things, make show bets, and then double up on Montemore Girl, and then key authentic in the classic, and that would probably be enough to do it. Right. And so. You know, on Friday, instead of betting VQuest, I ended up hitting a big VQuest to Ant Pearl double, which got me to the 20,000 range, which allowed me some flexibility. I went backwards on Saturday, and then I did double up on Montemore Girl to get up to about 36 grand. And at that point, I made uh, exactas with authentic, with authentic Tom Zeta and improbable. Oh. If authentic finished first or second, I was probably going to, you know, I was going to yeah. have a very big number, like, you right. know, un- around 200. Um, and then if uh, it was improbable, Tom say Todd, I would, you know, get like 60 back. Yeah. So, so that's, that was kind of, you know, kind of fit with what I had planned to do day one. I just, you know, I, I also loved Vquist, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to knock all my tickets out on Friday. So, Understood. so Understood. the good thing is I want a bunch of cash on Friday, maybe <laughs> very loose on Saturday. I know a lot of people, you know, you hear from like also these professionals, they say, well, you can't think of the money, but it's how do you not think of the money, right? Yeah. I mean, well, unless you I, have like a group, like what we did last year when we had a little group of 10 of us or something that played as a kind of a partnership, you know, and let Sean do it. Um, where yeah. we bet that's crazy $33,000 exact to try to win it. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm I, still a little upset about that. I don't know if you can. No, so I, I, you know, what's worse <laughs> about it watching it from home because I knew y'all had that bet because I'm close friends with Sean, right? Is they didn't show the rest of the field. I know. It's, you're trying to like watch the race. And I've got big, you know, exactus tries and supers, and you can't see what's going on until the end. And sort of the ridiculous part is they zoom in on flight line. Yes. Which you could zoom in on any horse, and it's <laughs> going to look impressive gambling. When you zoom out, you can see the widening field. Kind of yeah. like what they did with the Pacific Classic is they showed the rest of the field just getting smaller and smaller. To me, that's the impressive thing, not just the horse galloping. So, so yeah, I was <laughs> I sympathized with y'all and uh, and was rooting for y'all. But, uh, but yeah, I remember when I made the all-in-bet on Montemore Girl, I wasn't nervous because you I just knew, knew that it was – I just, I just knew that 
I felt very confident she was going to win. If I lost all my money that way, then so be it. Yep. Right. Cause was, yeah. yeah. And then, on, then by the time of the classic, you know, again, I had such a good Friday that, uh, uh, and I felt very good about my bet and that I was sticking to a plan. And, you know, I watched the race, didn't even didn't even get up out of my chair. Uh, and Look uh, at you, I mean, Mr. Calm. What kind I mean, of a gambler are you? You don't get out of your chair. Oh, my look gosh. At you. I well, he's just home by himself, just chilling in front yeah, of his computer. I mean, you know, I my mean, wife and kids are downstairs. I had no idea. <laughs> and so, and, I, and, I, and I figured that there's no way Baffert was going to duel with himself. So once Authentic got loose on the lead, I thought, oh, that well, was I, it. you know, we're going to hit the board. It's just hopefully it's improbable or times a time. Terrible ride. So on I hit improbable. it. I, yeah, I didn't I mean, like the ride on improbable. And I got very nervous when he was four wide, four wide. I'm like, yeah. I hope the hell he has enough to finish second. Yep. And so, uh, so I hit, I hit for 167. I got a little bit nervous because I was like, oh my god, if I don't win this, it would suck to make all this money and not win. So I yes. did go down and say, hey, I told my wife, hey, I hit for 167, but I don't think I'm going to win this thing. Wow. And so, and then I, you know, then I won. And uh, uh, what'd you do? Was, what'd you do with the money? So I bought a house in Saratoga. Oh, wow. You bought a house in Saratoga with the winnings. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, no. I did avoid the November sale, right? The t- yes, smart. I mean, it, it, I remember I, I, got, I, I finished 10th one year at the NHC, or 9th at the NHC, and I got 52000 back. And like two days later, I claimed the horse for fifty. <laughs> so uh, this time I was like, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going, and, I'm not buying a horse with, with 500. That's a, that's a, a crazy risk. So no, we ended up. I bought a place in Saratoga. I was actually looking at the place before the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, but uh, bought a place in Saratoga Springs, and uh, uh, I'm a college professor, and I'm able to now spend my summers in Saratoga Springs. That's and amazing. Probably, probably uh, retired at least part of the year there when uh, uh, when this. Uh, when I get to of age, uh, as far as my teaching job, is amazing. Marshall Graham joining us here on the Owners Box. I got a couple more things for you on the the um, handicapping uh, line of questioning. There's a, there was an article out um, recently about the CAW wagering, which are these computer betters. I don't even know how to say it right. Um, could I've been getting emails from a lot of my partners on this, and a lot of people asking me my opinion. I'd like to hear your opinion because, and and Michelle, maybe we could. Uh, tweet out the article again it's been all over twitter the last few days marshall how do you feel about this because this is becoming i don't even know if it's an issue um it's it seems like a necessary evil possibly um what's your thoughts on it well i i think everyone should read the article the article is extremely well written there's not necessarily anything new in the article um i think that the part of the problem is sort of how the article's framed is that that the that it makes astronomy Group look complicit with the teams and so it'd be better if there was an arm's length relationship between them makes a lot right? of sense. i think what's important to understand is that like the things these teams are doing most players have the ability to do right so i mean if you uh you know you can buy data and you can analyze data and upload bets that's explicitly what they're doing now they're doing it with a lot of resources these teams are big they're very knowledgeable they have uh, resources. They have people watching races. They have um, uh, a large data sets. So they build uh, a model from their log- large data sets. Uh, they turn. Uh, they they get predicted probabilities for each race, and they use those probabilities to construct bets across the entire, you know, across all the wagering pools. Right. Right. So if they're ten cent supers, they can and they can construct 2,500 2, supers for a total of two hundred fifty dollars, and can make them so efficient. Right. right? 
based upon predicted probabilities. And then they incorporate the public's information through the odds boards. Um, and that's a key component, right? Taking in what the public says, it, combining it with their model, and they make their last second bets into the pools, right? right. So none of that is 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 like cheating, right? right? Or out, or outlandish or something. Or they're outlandish. just using they're using the, the the data. Yeah. Now it's a problem in part with the pair mutual pools, right? And the problem it creates is it creates all of these late money movements, which right. I think are extremely frustrating to players, especially those coming from a fixed odds environment. Yeah, um, there's, a per- so, there's a perception problem. Yes. And and um, look, these players, they win, but it's important to remember they get enormous rebates. And so it's not like they're winning. It's not like they're winning a tremendous amount of money above what the takeout would be. Right. I think that right. like the, part of the simple solution here is to reduce the takeout. Right. For. Right casual players. I mean, that solves most of the problem in terms of this redistribution is occurring. But these teams, you know, they're betting huge sums of money to hoping to get, you know, a 3%, two to make 2 to 3%, right, post-rebate on their wagers. And right. so they're playing a little bit of a different game than the regular player is who doesn't have access to rebates. And um, so if you're in a state that doesn't have rebates and, uh, you, you know, it's it's a frustrating situation, right? You're, you're, you're playing into these pools with large takeouts. Uh, you bet a race and the odds can change dramatically. And what we need to do is we need to help these casual players, uh, you know, be more competitive in these betting pools. And so I'm not for getting rid of the CAWs. I'm for giving every player the tools to become a C, the tools to become a CAW. One of the first and foremost things I think is important is a typical player is is restricted to three bets per second, right? So if I want to, if I have a, you know, this is a form of computer betting, I have a spreadsheet where I can mm-hmm. use it to make pick six tickets. And so I can, you know, plug in some numbers, different combinations, and it'll spit out to me, you know, uh, a couple hundred pick six tickets sure. that are scaled the way I want to scale it. If I upload those tickets, I only get three bets per second process. So it can clog up my um adw and i'm not able to make any other bets interesting so the teams right the one the really sort of only noted unfair advantage they have is they can make as many bets as they want per second right okay and so i say remove that filter and let everyone have access to the pools look the younger horse players who are coming to this game most of them are very computer savvy yeah sophisticated yeah, yeah programming experience and so they want they're more interested in modeling, right? I had I, I teach a class called the economics of racetrack wagering markets. Wow. And you know, part of what I do or part of what I talk about is modeling. And all of our kids have taken econometrics, right? So they've taken these different modeling courses. And when I, you know, when instead of building a, a course racing computer model, right, they can't because the data is too expensive and inaccessible, they go on and they build golf models and they start betting golf, right? Wow, yeah. And so you know, we should have more players who want to build models, right? Want to approach the game in terms of, you know, uh, 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 use their programming skills to to have a, a different technique to approach the game. The game is constantly sense. evolving. The market's constantly becoming more efficient, right? That's not going away. There's nothing we can do to stop the to stop what these teams do, right? Even if if we ban them from the pools, they can literally write programs to log into the front end of your ADW, right? You can log, you could 
log yeah. into the it can log into the front end of ExpressBet and can upload bets that way, yeah. right? Right. And so, you know, again, my solutions be let everyone have access. Let's build people tools that they can use to uh, compete with these uh, that regular bettors can use to compete with these computer wagers. Uh, let's give people a little bit more information about where the price is going to move. You can use imputed doubles to give an idea of where, uh, where the wind pool is going to go. Uh, and let's lower takeout uh, such that uh, everyone's on a more competitive footing, right? A lot of what these teams are getting is they're getting large rebates. If there's a 30% takeout in the trifecta somewhere, well, they're getting an 18% rebate. Well, maybe instead of a 30% takeout in the trifecta, it should be 15%, right? right? And so all those things I think would help uh, the casual player. But again, there's nothing these teams are doing that are that are unsavory. It's just portrayed that way, right? Yep. The article portrays it that way in part because there should be a longer distance, more than an arm's length. There should be a longer distance, an arm length distance yeah. between the Stronach group and these teams. And and I don't think uh, the quotes weren't great by the the people who are yeah. with Stronach group in elite. So yeah, makes uh, sense. The article is great. It is a must read. And I'm not I'm not you know I don't want to downplay these teams. They're definitely they're winning and they're moving the odds. Right, but but they're not going away, and they provide tremendous liquidity to the pools, and they don't always win. I think we, you know, when you think about like computer modeling, you hear things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? And and machine learning is just like building a probability model. The name sounds a lot scarier than it really is, <laughs> right? It it's like, like ten strike racing. That sounds very <laughs> scary, very scary. No, I don't want to. I listen. I I vote, and Michelle, I don't know if you want to second this, but to put uh, Marshall Graham in charge of all horse racing um, activities and gambling. <laughs> well, uh, that's funny. We need like a commissioner. Talking about as you guys are talking about the gambling, I want to ask from from the other aspect. What do you think from your economic standpoint about like the business of horse ownership? What is a very successful business model that maybe someone that's listening that doesn't have a horse can try and be a part of that they aren't just, I mean, we always try to say, right, like let it be expendable income, but what if someone wanted to try and just like make it a business? Well, they need to make sure they surround themselves with people they can trust. Um, you know, and that's, I think the hardest part getting, you know, getting a, a, a an agent who's aligned with your interests getting a trainer who is aligned with your interests, um, you know, and, and that's, I mean, that's tricky to do. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, making sure that, that you keep good records, uh, keep on top of things, making sure you cut your losses when you need to, um, you know, don't ever become too attached to one horse. But I, I just think, you know, having a game plan, sticking to it, um, you know, trying to keep costs down while letting the trainer, an agent do their jobs is, is really important. But, you know, I, I think the one thing that, that has really worked for us is we have an agent that we really trust and we have trainers who, um, you know, work hard and do their best and, and have our interests at heart, right. Aren't looking, you know, aren't looking, you know, are looking to win races. They aren't looking just to, to keep their barn full and, and earn yeah. a day rate. That makes a lot of sense. Michelle, one last question. One last question. I was just actually on your website uh, stalking, as I like to do, <laughs> and I see on the side you have the the We Support, and you have the TAA, Turning for Home, uh, PDJF, Saints and Angels, New Vocations, and Anna House. Can you tell us a little bit about why these particular groups and why it's important to you? Well, I, I, I don't. I, I'm, we need to update our website. <laughs> some of the best 
<laughs> I'm on. The, I'm, I mean, I, I do think it's like. He's like, like I, I mean, no longer believe in the PDG. Yeah, no, I'm out. No, I'm believe, out on the I jockeys. That, I'm out. I believe them. I believe in them all. And and we, you know, right right now we very much support. Like Arkansas has has just started a thoroughbred retirement fund, and so we've been putting a lot of our efforts there. Um, at, at Parks, where I've raced for a long time, Parks has a model program in turning for home, where they'll take any horse off the racetrack and retire it. Um, and, and help help find it a home. We are very committed to thoroughbred retirement. We're also very committed to, you know, backstretch care. I mean, sort of anything related to these thoroughbred charities we, we find extremely important. So I'm on the board of the Thoroughbred Charities of America and, uh, um, you know, just uh, I'm all for helping out, you know, helping out and being involved in this broader part of our game, right? I mean, sort of everything I do... I think about as it relates to horse racing, whether it's ownership, whether it's betting, whether it's my charitable endeavors, um, uh, you know, anything we can do to help sort of improve the uh, horse racing's ecosystem. Um, and, and obviously these athletes who who are so incredible and give so much to us, anything we do, can do for them, um, we want to make sure we do. And, you know, I, I have not gotten around because I know that y'all y'all do something, uh, you know, that the Little Red Feathers cares Yep, uh, we have uh, Karma, uh, LRF cares, sure. Will and Michelle is very big enough to care. We we think it's it's almost it's underrated how important it is. Well, and it's good for you because you're able to to target. You know, you're able to put together your group of uh, partners sure. to to sort of uh, targeted give. And so we don't like again for our partners. We encourage the give, but we're not we're not going to make them. And so of course. you know we do suggest charities that they give to, and they of course very much support kind of the charities that we support marshall graham you are a gem michelle and i both wish you all the best we look forward to I'm maybe a fan girl now. yeah you are uh 10 strike racing is 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 awesome um last very last question might we see you at santa anita this year for the breeders cup i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to make it i'm gonna try to make it i was there in was it 19 was that the last time the breeders cup I think was there so. yeah yeah santa anita is great i mean awesome. there's nothing there's nothing better than like the San Gabriel Mountains in the background. <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's good. Really, it doesn't seem to anyone who's not been. It doesn't seem real. It right? does. It just yeah. doesn't. It seems like a painting. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, you know, again, it's I, I. I can't wait. The Breeders' Cup itself, obviously, is a big event in it. In it. Um, in it. It's Santa Anita. You know, I, I really do think we should rotate between Santa Anita and Churchill. Right. I mean, those are big venues that that can hold big crowds. Yeah. I do like uh, having and, it at Del Mar, and I do like I do like Keeneland too. I like I like those four. I don't want to. Th- I, yeah, at Del Mar and Keeneland a little small. I'm mean, obviously yeah. I can't badmouth Keeneland. I won the BCBC <laughs> there, but but they're small. I mean, the they are thing small. about Churchill and San Anita is they can they can hold, hold big crowds, yeah. and they can let your everyday horse player go. Yeah, right. The I the agree. the you know the not the not someone who doesn't have to spend three thousand dollars to go to the races yeah. right that Makes anyone, sense. you know they can get a ticket and go to churchill but you know i'm super excited and i hope to see you all out in california um if not earlier uh maybe maybe if you come through Sarat- uh, saratoga yep. I know well you know i'm, I'm, I'm banned i know i banned myself after last year's uh saratoga so who knows if i will ever be back there marshall <laughs> but we appreciate well, you coming on the show you had to throw it away at the airport I did. it was so bad it was so hot the humidity just killed me and the fact that all my horses ran last but other than that it was great
But well, again, maybe you'll make it. You have good horses, and and uh, uh, I'm sure we'll see some of that here. And and you know, out in California, maybe you get soft. It's a little hot in in New York, but again, not, nothing like Memphis. I hear so. you. I'm headed to Keeneland next week. I'll be there for a couple of, for every weekend except the uh, OBS April sales. So um, maybe if you head up to Keeneland, we will ke- we will get dinner one night. I'll try to make it. I'm going to Derby this year. Oh, so. well, we'll see you there. All right, Marshall it's Graham. My first real Derby. Let's so. go. Um, we'll start. We're going to start the hashtag um, hashtag Marshall Graham for Commissioner of Horse Racing. I don't know. It's kind of long, <laughs> but I think it's catchy. And uh, Marshall we'll Graham there. for SAR. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Marshall. We appreciate, it, bud. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thanks, all right. Marshall. All right, that's Marshall Graham here on the Owner's Box. I told you, Michelle. I told you. He was don't, awesome. Don't say I didn't tell you. The guy nope. just and you know. I said he's smart. He he's more than smart. I mean, he has that econ background. He's a he's a professor. He's a college professor teaching a class on on you uh, know gambling. modeling gambling. I mean, it's just like incredible. <laughs> How great is that? I mean, what the fuck? Nah, Marshall. I, I really meant it when I said he's one of the one of the real good guys in horse racing. Um, cares deeply about his horses and all the and people. We didn't and even I, talk about eyeing Clover winning the stake this week. I that's know. How, that's yeah. how good it was. Yeah, and uh, congratulations to all the 10-strike partners who are, again, I'm reiterating, I've said it like three times, but they're having an outstanding Oakland meet, and that's what they point for. So, yes. um, you know, good for them, and, and thank you, Marshall, for coming on the show. Michelle, what do we have uh, coming up at Santa Anita? We have a couple of huge days. We do. So, um, first of all, just want to mention on Friday, we actually have Petros and Money coming to nice. Santa Anita, doing like a live show from there. I've been on their show a couple times. I don't know who they are, so I, I guess I have to swing <laughs> by. Really cool. A lot of no, people listen great. to them. Yeah, yeah. Pictures of money are great. A lot of fun. Uh, and then Saturday, we do have the first racing tour stop. Like the first Saturday in every month has been this. It is highlighted by the Santa Anita Run Happy Derby, and we have a good-sized field in that particular race. Supporting it, we also have the Charlie Whittingham presented by FanDuel. Wait, can we talk for one second before we go on to the, the – I mean, the Sandy Derby is a big race. I mean, we have – Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have I Don't Get It, who was impressive, uh, breaking his maiden. We have Go Rocket Ride, who has uh, – Billy, Billy, what? This, I'm gonna, this is all in three things of note. Oh, we're going to go in three things of note. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Sometimes we record the first part of the show after the second part. Of the yes, show. that's today. So <laughs> okay, uh, to continue, the Monrovia, the Echo Eddy, the Evening Jewel, and the Santa Anita Oaks. We're going to be having a party in the Chandelier Room and the Silks Room. I love They're that. They're going to be doing a buffet in the trackside dining and loge seats. We're going to be having uh, some stuff go on in the Silks Room. On the infield is the Spring Carnival. We also have the Santa Anita Derby Festival as well as the 5K. If you're Are you running? Hell no. Uh, Do I look like I run? I don't know. No, I, Michelle, I don't know. I I no. think of you as like, you know, one of the one of the greatest athletes and you oh, should probably boy. be a and you should probably be a model. I mean, that's how oh, I think of you. That's mentally nice. how you, you are so kind. Yeah. Um, I would die if I tried to run a 5K, I think. And then the Compton Cowboys are going to be there also. It's the $18,000 Pickum as well as the $1,500 Santa Anita Derby Challenge. And then, of course, we have racing on Sunday, which is Easter, and that is highlighted by the John Shear Stakes, which I think Billy and I are each going to be having a horse Ooh, in there. Yeah. We're also going to be having the Easter Buffet and the Easter Egg Hunt, which is the largest in the San Gabriel Valley. And That's Spring fun. Carnival 
still going on there as well. So a huge weekend here. And it is worth noting, Billy, that yes. after this, we're going to have a break in racing. Break in the for action. The next week. Yep. So we, that was a planned break. It was actually supposed to be two weeks, but we're coming back early because we had to make up days from the rain. Makes a lot of sense. Go to Santa Anita this weekend. Saturday is going to be an unbelievable day. What's the? I think the weather's going to be hot, right? Ugh. Yes. I yeah. Think it's going to be well, at least it'll be nice. At least it'll be nice. All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much to all our listeners. We are part of the In the Money Media Network. And thank you very much to Marshall Graham, who came on and spent way too much time with us today. But I he know, was he awesome. Was for like an hour with us. It was incredible. Um, probably one of the best shows ever. And um, thank you to all of our sponsors, OBS, uh, Santa Anita, Del Mar, and everybody else who gets involved with the owner's box. What a great show, Michelle. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see everybody. You want to do something next week, though, anyway, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, even though we have a break, Sanity, we'll still do something. We'll find oh, someone. Sure. We'll find someone special. How about that? All right? All right. Let's call it a day. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>